you have your Bibles with you, I hope you do, please turn it to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see one in the pew back in front of you. It's a blue one. Uh, open that one up with us, please. Open that one up with us, please. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. The Word of God. If you need a Bible, take that blue one with you, please. If you know someone who needs a Bible, take that one to them. We'd love to be part of that. All right, Mark chapter 4, going to be beginning in verse 35. Big number 4, little number 35. Um, I'm about to have a baby. Well, not me, but my wife. Um, so let's talk about how to find rest. Is that important? As the days go by and we're heading toward this baby, I'm starting to think through these things a little bit. I'm starting to remember what it's like to have a little infant. Rest is important. Would you agree? When you don't get sleep, doesn't that just throw everything off? I bet you can't even believe it, but my normal pleasant demeanor might not be there when I don't get any sleep. Anybody ever feel that way? Yeah, rest is important. And I'm not just talking about catching some Z's in the middle of the night, though that's part of it. Finding rest in the storms of life. How do we find rest? when our life is just crashing back and forth. What's going on there? Why do our lives face storms? How can we find rest in the storms? Let's find out. Let's read together. Big number 4, little number 35. We're going to read the whole thing, then we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about what it means. Mark chapter 4, Verse 35 goes like this. On that day, when evening had come, He, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took Him with them in the boat just as He was. And other boats were with Him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and, to the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who it then is this that even the wind and sea obey Him? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey Him? Okay. On that day, what day are we talking about? Uh, starting in chapter 4, we have Jesus teaching parables to the crowd. If you've been with us, you've 
You've, you've heard these parables. We've seen these parables. Mark chapter 4, verse 1, you don't need to read it, starts this way. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. If you, you'll, you'll recall, You'll recall that the crowds that were following Jesus were so ferociously in pursuit of the things that He was doing, miracles, casting out demons, healing, that they were afraid that they were going to crush the disciples. They were going to crush Jesus. And so one of the ways they fixed this was Jesus got into a boat and they avoided the crowd. But the crowd was so amazed by Jesus, they didn't go anywhere. And so this is a perfect platform for Jesus to preach to hundreds, if not thousands of people. They're all on the hillside. Jesus was out on the lake and He preached. And He preached parables. We saw the parable of the soil. You'll remember. You'll remember. The condition of our heart determines whether we will accept the Word of God. Our heart's like soil. How's the soil of your heart? Before coming in and hearing the Word of God preached, have you prepared your soil? We heard the parable of putting the lamp under the basket. Jesus is the light that shines in the world like a lamp filling a dark house with light. We heard the parable of measuring the Word. Jesus says, gather the Word in your basket. Inspect the Word. Apply the Word to your life or God won't give you more. A scary thought. We saw the parable of the seed. We cast the Word and it's up to God's mysterious will and mysterious ways to bring salvation. And we heard the parable of the mustard seed. The kingdom of God may start like a tiny seed, but it always becomes a gigantic tree in which we can find comfort and safety. So he's preaching all these things on this boat says, when evening came, they crossed the sea. He was already in the boat. They took him the way he was. And so their boat starts going across the sea. And we, say, we see that other boats followed him. Remember, Jesus had more than just 12 disciples. There were 12 apostles. And then there were other people that were following him. And so there's this little flotilla of boats crossing the sea in the evening. And we think, if you've been with us in Mark, we think, okay, this should be a simple procedure. Who, is, who are Jesus' right-hand and left-hand men? They're fishermen. They've lived on boats their whole lives. They know this lake. They know what to do with these boats. They were This flotilla was it, were in small fishing boats which would have oars to row and a sail to access the wind on calm, windy days. And if we read... If we, if, we, if we could see the Greek in here, the Greek makes it seem like they're sailing. They're not rowing, they're sailing. So it was a calm, breezy evening. It would be nice. It would be nice. Calm, breezy evening on the lake. The Sea of Galilee, the sea that they're on, is surrounded almost entirely by mountains. It's like a bowl. It almost, almost looks like a bowl. Most days, it's a very calm sea. It's what they're experiencing now. Very calm. Beautifully calm water. Gentle breeze carrying them along. 
Most days it's like that. But when storms come on this sea, they come without warning. And they rage. These sudden violent storms on the sea is still well known. That's what the sea is well known for today as well. The storm would strike without warning as high winds would streak down the mountains and produce immediate strong high winds that would crash against the boat. So you can imagine the feeling. Nice, calm, breezy day floating down the lake and all of a sudden out of nowhere. You feel that wind. Your boat splits over and waves come crashing all over the place. You're in an emergency like that. You don't see it coming. You don't see it coming. And you can imagine that's tough during the day, and this is the evening. So you can imagine how scary that is. You really can't see it coming. The storm that hits their flotilla, that hits their boats, was so great and so terrifying that these expert sailors, number one, didn't see it coming. When Jesus said, let's cross, they didn't look up in the sky and say, well, we better, maybe we better not, maybe we'll walk around, maybe we'll stay here, we better not cross. They didn't see it coming. Number two, they were terrified. This wasn't normal. This wasn't a normal storm. They thought they were going to die. And their fearless leader is asleep on the cushion usually had a cushion for, the, for steering and sitting, and, and that's where Jesus was asleep. After preaching all day, Jesus was so tired, the shaking and the waves crashing, the water splashing, the men yelling, it didn't even wake him. I preached for 40 minutes, and I'm a zombie. This guy preaches all day. It's a great picture of who Jesus is. We see a picture of his humanity. Jesus got tired. Jesus ate. Jesus wept. Jesus laughed. Jesus had sorrow. Jesus was fully human. He's asleep on the cushion. And we also see he's fully human, he's fully God. He has a divine trust in his heavenly Father. That is a man who is tired beyond belief and who can fall asleep totally unconcerned in full trust of his heavenly Father. Those problems and storms that keep you awake... God wants you to trust Him and get some sleep. Isn't that a comforting feeling? God doesn't... He's not... Wake up! Hey, wake up! You've got to worry about this a little bit more. I want you to worry... No, He wants you to sleep in the storm. He's got it. He's got you. So we have Jesus asleep and the disciples are furiously, you can picture them pulling on the sails or grabbing the oars or bailing out water. And finally they turn to Jesus. Can you imagine? You're doing all this and that dude's sleeping on the cushion. With adrenaline pumping, they angrily wake him. 
And with all the ruckus going on, all the, the storm and the loud crashing of the waves and men screaming, with that loud noise, how do they wake him? Not, uh, uh, Jesus, can you please wake up? Please, we might, be able, we might need your help. How do they do it? I can imagine that they grab him by the shoulders and somebody goes, Jesus, wake up! And they say it like this. They say it like this. The literal Greek makes it sound this way. Teacher, are we to drown for all you care? You're going to sleep while we all die? And there's probably a little sprinkle of this in there. You won't even lend a hand to help? They are rebuking the lazy teacher for dereliction of duty. And we can imagine... We could probably imagine the person who's saying this. Remember, Mark sat at the feet of Peter as he's writing his Gospel. So he gets a lot of his information firsthand from Peter. So who might you imagine is the guy shaking Jesus awake? It says they. If Peter did it, everybody else was on board. Literally. Pun intended. They are rebuking the lazy teacher. That's what they think. They're rebuking the lazy teacher who's ignoring his duty, who's not trying to save him, who doesn't care anything about him. They're rebuking him. But what they're really doing was foolishly and with evil hearts rebuking the Creator, owner, and King of the wind and the waves that were crashing against their boat. As if Jesus didn't care or He was lazy. Are you with me? They couldn't be more wrong about the situation. But let's be real. How often do we accuse Jesus of the same thing during the storms of our life? When storms crash in on our lives, do we accuse Him of not caring? Do we accuse Him of being lazy? Now listen, we're all good church people, right? We would never say that out loud. Good church people would never. Of course we would, right? We would never. But maybe, maybe you don't say that, but maybe you feel it encroaching on your heart. Like, Jesus works for me? So they accuse Him of sleeping on the job, of discarding His duty, of not caring that the waves and the wind are going to kill them. But they don't understand that the waves and the wind are on His payroll. That's what they're missing. And so Jesus looks at the waves, looks at the water, says, peace, be still. How did He do this? How did He say this? 
We could play with our imagination here, and we don't go too far in that way, but how would he say this? You know, I've seen lots of books. We read a book to Charlie about this, and Jesus is standing on the ship going like this. Peace, be still! Maybe it was like that. Or maybe they woke him up from a nap. He's not scared. He turns over and goes, you really worry about this? Peace, be still. Goes back, lays back down. Maybe he did that. I don't know. But what Jesus said, peace, be still, literally... And the Greek is silence be muzzled. How interesting is that? Silence be muzzled. Now, if we're reading this in the the first century church, we're going to go all the way through the book of Mark in the same same Sunday. and We're going to read the whole thing together. Your brain might make a connection and say, hey, we've heard that before. The very first chapter when Jesus casts out a demon in the synagogue. Do you remember this? He says this. uh, Mark says this. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be muzzled! Come out of him. So we've got this man in my boat. I've just rebuked him, called him lazy, called him uncaring. And this man muzzles the sea like a man muzzles a dog. Wow. And the word suggests to us that at that at that word from Jesus the storm and the water was immediately calm there was no fade away it didn't happen in an hour 10 minutes 5 minutes no it was immediately calm no residual shaking no last wave crashing Calm. The wind and the waves obey this man. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Even after my teaching, after miraculous healings, after casting out demons, do you still not believe that God's saving power is being poured out through me, the Son of God? Do you still not believe? And notice, how does Jesus save His Word? Are you with me? The Word of Jesus calms. Could have been a thought. Could have been a letter. Could have been a postcard. It was His Word. Saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Jesus saves through His Word. How important is this? Jesus calms the storm. He saves their lives by a word. He calls Lazarus to come forth by a word. Jesus saves by His word. 
And this is a powerful moment. Why do you still doubt that I, that I am the saving power of God? Why do you doubt that? And then it says the disciples were filled with terror. Isn't that interesting? That's a whole sermon in itself, isn't it? The disciples, they were scared of the wind and the storm. And as Mark is writing this at the feet of Peter, he goes, yeah, we were real scared of that. And then it comes to learning that Jesus is the one who controls it. You know what Peter says? He says, we were terrified. No longer terrified of what's out there. Terrified by what's inside the boat. The storm, this storm kicks off a section in Mark that we are going to be moving into where Jesus deals with the three most dangerous physical forces, physical earthly forces rather, arrayed against mankind. Nature is a dangerous force against mankind. Demonic forces on the earth are a dangerous force against mankind. And then we will see death. We'll see Jesus deal with death. So the idea in this section of Mark, starting here, is that Jesus is the answer to all our enemies. As we're reading through the book of Mark for the first time 2,000 years ago, we're going to get to this section and we're going to see Jesus knocking down all of our enemies. Nature, check it off the list. Demons, check it off the list. Death, Check it off the list. And finally culminating in what? And the cross where Jesus has defeated sin and death and hell for believers. For all who repent and believe the good news. On the cross, He defeats our most vicious enemies. And so, that's the message. Jesus is the answer to all mankind's enemies. What I want to know and what Jesus wants for us in this passage. The one who muzzles the sea invites us to trust Him so much that we can rest in all the storms. That's what Jesus wants for the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Don't you understand? I'm here. He wants that for the disciples. He wants that for you. Don't you understand? Why are you so afraid? Jesus is in the boat. So, Jesus wants for us restful. Why do you have no faith? Why do you have a lack of faith? What, what Jesus wants for us is restful faith. Restful faith. Restful faith, number one, knows you want, you want to have rest in the storms, you want restful faith. Restful faith knows that if the wind and the sea obey Him, nothing can possibly be out of His control. You want rest in the storms? The first place to start is Jesus is in control of everything. Jesus is the sovereign King 
of everything. Meaning, He can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. The wind and sea obey Him. What can be out of His control? He is the Lord of the wind and sea. There's a great passage in Psalm 107 that really that really looks like a prophecy about Jesus in Mark. It's really incredible. So look at this. Psalm 107, 23-29. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. It says this, Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord. His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Wake up, Jesus! Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like junk drunken men and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Amazing. All nature is under His command. All nature is under His command. The wind, the rain, the hurricanes, the droughts, the famines, the harvests, the animals, the germs, the stars, the planets, the meteors, the earthquakes. As R.C. Sproul says, there is not one maverick molecule in the universe. Jesus is in control of everything. He can do whatever He wants whenever He wants. He's the Lord of the wind and the sea. Scripture says He is the Lord of men's hearts. Most of the storms in my life are not natural storms. They're not a hurricane. Most of the storms in my life either come from my own heart or someone else's heart. Maybe, maybe our hearts are out of Jesus' control. Maybe Jesus just watches from afar. Isn't that a terrifying thought? If Jesus watches far and hearts of men are out of His control, isn't that terrifying for the church that's about to endure persecution? Well, Jesus can't stop Caesar from coming in and killing us. Isn't that a terrifying thought? Well, take heart. The, heart, the Lord is, is in control of man's heart. Proverbs 21.1 is one of the many places that says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. No, our hearts are not out of Jesus' kingship. God is a chess player with the decisions of mankind. No one makes a decision, good or bad, that will ultimately not work for the glory of God and for the good of all who call upon His name. Are you with me on that? No one will ever make a decision that will not ultimately lead to God's glory and your good, Christian. Are you with me? 
Now, it might take a hundred years to see it. It might take till we become face to face with Jesus to see it. But nothing is out of his control and everything, good or bad, will be steered by Jesus to turn out for our good and his glory. Are you with me? Therefore, even kings can't stop the plans of our God. All right, let's be an equal opportunity offender here. When Trump does something evil, when Obama did something evil, we don't despair. When kings make terrible decisions, don't go on Facebook and say the sky is falling. Don't do that. Don't despair. We don't despair in these things. Why? Because God's still in control. God is still in control. We call evil, evil, and we know God will use it for His glory and for our good. He resurrects everything. He resurrects everything. Jesus is in control of everything. He is the Lord of man's life and death. If they were to die on that boat, on that sea, do you think God would have said, shucks, I wasn't paying close enough attention. It got away from me. Would Would God have said that? No. Even our death is in the hands of our God. Psalm 139 says it this way, Your God's eyes saw my unformed substance. Check this out. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet there were none of them. Jesus is in such control. He knows when you were in your mother's womb. In your mother's womb, He knew the number of your days. Culminating, Jesus is in control of everything. He's in control of the wind of the sea, the men's hearts, life and death. And basically, we could have read this verse and it sufficed. All things are His. Colossians 1.16 For by Jesus, by Him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. All things. All things. Restful faith knows Jesus is in total control. Are you with me? Do you want to rest in the storms of your life? Know that Jesus is in total control. Nothing is out of His reach. So, first point, restful faith knows Jesus is in control of everything. Second point, restful faith knows that Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in control of everything and Jesus is in my boat. The one true God is in flesh, in my boat. He is not distant. 
He's not distant. He's not far away. He didn't wind up the universe and let it go and then go do His own thing over there. He is not far from His people. He is with us. How often do we hear this? I will never leave you or forsake you. Have no fear, for I am with you. In the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are in the boat. The church is called the body of Christ. Meaning, Jesus is so close to you, it's like you're the same body. It's like you're the same person. We are in Christ, the Bible says, and He is in us. Jesus is our shepherd. Shepherds don't leave the sheep. He's a terrible shepherd. He's not a terrible shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. He controls everything, and He's in the boat. In the storms of your life, Jesus is in control In the storms of your life, He's in your boat. Therefore, Jesus does not drive an ambulance. He doesn't find out about your storms over the radio and then has to hurry to get there and pick up the pieces. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is in your boat during the storm. He's not surprised by the storm. He doesn't arrive late. He doesn't watch you deal with the storm through binoculars. He is with you in the storm. He controls it all. He is with you in the storm. And the storm comes anyway. Have you thought about that? He can control all things. He's in the boat with you. And the storm comes anyway. What does that mean? That means your storms in life always pass through the hands of your Lord and Savior first. All the storms in your life pass through the hands of Jesus. And this is good news because His hands are committed to transforming every storm in your life for your good and His glory. Are you with me? Every storm of your life passes through the hands of Jesus. Romans 8.28 says it this way, all things work together for the good of those who love God. If the storm in your life was not going to produce for you eternal good, your Savior would stop it. Peace be still, be muzzled storm. Jesus was in the boat with the disciples and the storm still hit. Why? Because the storm was for their eternal good. Everything you are experiencing in this life is building for you an eternal weight of glory. Every storm in your life comes through the hands of Jesus and He's transforming these storms into your eternal good. An eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says it this way, Therefore, we do not lose heart, for our light and momentary storms, our light and momentary afflictions is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. Rest in the boat. Because everything coming to you passes through the hands of Jesus. And He will transform everything, every sorrow, 
into your eternal good. Paul says it this way, an eternal weight of glory. How can we trust this to be true? Jesus is in the boat and the storm passes through His hands. How can we trust this to be true? How can I trust Him to transform these things? How can I trust Him to be here in my suffering? How, can I, how, does, how in the world can I trust Him to know what it's like? He's God. How in the world can I trust Him when the storms come through His hands? We trust Him because it comes through His hands and those hands are nail-scarred. Every storm of your life comes through his hands and we can trust him because on his hands are in his hands are holes from the cross. These hands are not not the smooth hands of a rich king who demands sacrifice and sufferings and storms for his people while issuing orders from a comfortable place. Those aren't his hands. The hands that our storms are coming through are nail-scarred hands that have saved us. And they are hands that are the prototype for our experiences as believers. Jesus does not ask for you to suffer in a way that He has not already suffered. These hands of His that are marked by suffering are the prototype for our experiences as believers. Jesus' life is the prototype for our life. The life of a believer is sacrifice, persecution, storms, and hardships now, just like Christ. Hardships now for glory later. And if children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided... Are you ready? We're heirs with Christ provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Our glorification in heaven is connected to our willingness to suffer with Christ and His nail-scarred hands now. So, when you turn your television on and you see someone preaching who's got a big smile and there's a big globe behind him that rotates, that's vague enough, right? Like if I say his name, he's going to lose sleep over me tonight, you know? When you turn on your TV and you hear him say things like, God doesn't want you to suffer, he wants to prosper you. That He wants you to have that new car. He wants you to have that new house. He wants you to have those nice clothes. When He says something like that, your brain, an alarm needs to go off in your brain and you need to say, wait a minute. Paul said, if we suffer with Him now, we may also be glorified with Him later. One in my notes. Poor guy's going to lose sleep. Don't send him this sermon. Poor guy's going to lose sleep over it. Restful faith. 
Restful faith knows that Jesus is in control, knows He has joined us in the boat, and knows that everything that happens to us will come through His hands and He is trustworthy. And then what we have to do and what we, what we are tempted not to do, restful faith puts everything in His nail-scarred hands. Restful faith puts everything in His nail-scarred hands. My friends, true saving faith empowers us to rest in the storm. And listen to me, true saving faith is not an intellectual assent to who Jesus is. True saving faith is not only knowing facts about Jesus, it's trusting Him as a person. It's very different things. It's very different things. Many have intellectually believed in Jesus. Well, I believe facts about Jesus. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose from the dead. That's a very different thing than from trusting Jesus. It's like this. I can know a lot of facts about my rope. I can know how long it is. I can know what it feels like when I pick it up. I can know what color it is. I can know how much weight it can hold. I can know where the rope was made, how much it weighs, how old it is. However, it's a different thing to know about my rope. It's a different thing to trust that rope while hanging off a cliff. Saving faith in Jesus is knowing facts about Him and putting your life in His hands. Have you put your life in His hands? And so if this is saving faith, if saving faith is putting your life in His hands, when is saving faith proved? In the storms. Saving faith is proved hanging on the rope off a cliff. That's when saving faith is proved. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in various trials so that the authenticity of your faith, which is more precious than gold, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know who wrote that? Peter wrote that. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. Rejoice now, although you go through, you suffer trials so that the authenticity of your faith may result in the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. Suffering the storms proves the authenticity of our faith and results in the praise of Christ. Finally, you cannot have restful faith. You cannot have Restful faith through the storms in our life, through a, a mean boss or a low bank account or, or a smashed up car or death of a loved one. We cannot have, we cannot have rest in the storms of those. We can have rest 
through those storms, if we do not have restful faith through the ultimate storm of our life, the storm of sin and death and hell. Restful faith must trust Jesus to calm this storm. We will not have any rest in our life, no true rest in our life, until Jesus has calmed the storm of sin and death and hell. When we repent and believe the good news of Jesus, we are trusting Him to calm the storm that is threatening to sink our entire existence. To be alone in the boat is to have a storm bearing down on us that will absolutely obliterate us. This storm is a tsunami. This storm is relentless. This storm is coming for all of us. This storm of sin and death and hell is approaching you closer and closer with every breath that you take. And if you are piloting your own boat, you're sunk. So Jesus came. And Mark says He has come to preach good news to the sinner. He has come to say, I am here to pilot your boat. Repent and believe the good news that I will be with you. And I will calm the storm. And when we repent, when we turn from our sinful life, and commit our life to Christ, when we trust Him, like we're hanging off a rope off a cliff, when we do these things, He comes in the boat, and as that storm of sin, death, and hell comes, guess what He says? Muzzle yourself! And we are saved. If you haven't trusted Jesus to calm that storm, you will never find rest.